Good morning. I wish I had like a closet behind me where I could take off my jacket and then put a, put a sweater on, but with the play starting next week, it seems silly to build one set just to have it taken over by an airport. So. so every single day during the week, my family has a routine, uh, a very specific pattern that we follow. So here's just a sampling of what happens. We wake up. We eat breakfast together, and then somewhere between 7.25 and 7.30, four of us, including Nora, who's barely two years old, all four of us, we panic because we've realized that we haven't eaten our breakfast quick enough. Our older, our older child, Camden, he's not dressed yet, and we have to make it to the bus stop very soon. The details of our morning, what we eat, the manner in which Allison and I brew our coffee, and maybe the time that we roll out of bed, that might change. But the pattern for the ordering of our lives stays the same. We eat breakfast, and we sit at the same table, and we all sit in the same chairs. We see the same cars and bicycles with the same church people waving good morning to us as our pattern and their pattern overlap for just a brief moment. The patterns of our lives intersect, influencing the way that we move through the day, the way we move through the week. And what can often seem as separate journeys that we are all on are, in fact, woven together. Our pattern becomes part of your pattern and vice versa. Our neighborhoods, they have patterns as well. For example, across the street, every Monday night, we hear the sound of trash cans and yard waste cans and recycling cans and whatever noun he's going to give us next. We hear them all getting taken to the curb. The contents of these containers are affected by the prior week's pattern, which then in turn affects the movement that the containers make as they settle in their places at the end of the driveway. After a gathering of friends or family, the containers might be fuller than usual with the lids propped open as uh, recycling from plates and parties overflow. In the, during Christmas or right after Christmas, you'll hear the sound of cardboard boxes being dragged across asphalt or gravel as they make their way to the curb. And in the spring, there's always piles of yard debris from trees and from gardens as we begin to clean out and make space for the blooming of spring bulbs. The patterns of our daily routines, whether it's during the week or on the weekends, as our individual families and as a shared community, it makes up the liturgy of our lives. Now, I know what you're thinking. Liturgy is a word that's reserved for Sunday mornings upstairs and not in this space. So, Don't panic and don't become uncomfortable quite yet. Liturgy is a form to which public, especially Christian worship, is conducted. To to put it a little more simply, liturgy is the work that we as a people, we as a community, do together. Even if we think it's a low liturgical church or we're not following any liturgy at all, We are. 
There is always a pattern that the community uses, that we use, to navigate our time together, placing our focus instead of on ourselves or on the band or on a lead singer, instead placing our attention and our focus on God. You know, even if we were to over our worship service, do away with that screen there and revamp the whole thing, we would still have a liturgy. We would still have a pattern that was guiding our worship, our lives together. Jesus has traveled from the banks of the Jordan River where he was baptized by his cousin John, and he's arrived in Capernaum. He's not yet turned and faced towards Jerusalem, the religious and political hub of the region. Instead, Jesus stays in the region surrounding the Sea of Galilee. This Galilean region was home to zealous and revolutionary Galilee and the cities that made up this region. They were considered to be on the outskirts of the region. You could think of it as of, uh, the backwoods of ancient Israel. Capernaum, even Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, those areas were removed from the structures, uh, the structures and the patterns of Jerusalem. Galilee is what we would refer to today as a melting pot. The liturgy of the community was influenced by those who may have not been comfortable establishing the patterns of their life in areas with stricter to religious law. So it was in Capernaum where Jesus picked up the pattern and he continued the preaching and the teaching done by his cousin John who had just been arrested. Change your hearts and lives. Repent. Here comes the kingdom of God. In Jesus, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was present on earth. It wasn't something they had to wait for to come. It was here and now. The kingdom of heaven arrived in Capernaum, in Galilee, in a place where the liturgy of the community played fast and loose with the religious law. And the community was considered by those outside of it to be as biblically pure as they could be. The Gentiles lived in this community. And the patterns of paganism influenced the pattern of Jewish life and religion in the region. The people living in Galilee... They went about their daily liturgy. And this is where Jesus found Peter and Andrew and James and John fishing by the sea. It was in the midst of their daily liturgy. The repetitive routine of mending nets, setting off from the banks to go fishing, returning to shore, selling fish or lamenting that they didn't catch any, their nets again. That's when Jesus called them, those four men, two sets of brothers, saying, come and follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. Come and follow me, and I will show you how to bring people into my kingdom. Jesus' new pattern for life pulled Peter and Andrew and James and John Pulled, it, pulled them from their occupations as fishermen and from their vocations as sons within the community and invited them to not only experience God's grace, but to at the same time become instruments of that same been extended to them. 
This new liturgy would take them from the backwoods of Galilee and thrust them into the religious and political hubs of the region. Later, the liturgy of the kingdom of heaven thrusted them into the religious and political hubs of cities and regions of the known world for one purpose, extending the same invitation to experiencing the grace of the kingdom of heaven that they had experienced on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. You can tell from the screens and from my amazing professional wrestler walk-up music this morning that we're kicking off a new sermon. So for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about neighbors with a, t- a series called Won't You Be My Neighbor. Grace is a word that people like me and pastors Jeff and Ed, it's churchy language that we use almost on a weekly basis, and we rarely stop to define or explore what its implications are. I refer to this as stained glass language, and it turns people off not because it's offensive, and we should be clear, grace and the grace that is extended to each of us can be offensive. It can offense our sensibilities. But rather, those of us who are charring this grace to the world We don't take seriously that which we have. The grace of God, it's the unmerited, there's nothing you can do to earn it, and there's nothing you can do to lose it, love of God. It's ours every single day of the week. The grace, the love of God is with us in the nitty-gritty daily grind that we find ourselves in. And while we may not recognize it, while we may not see it, It's ours. Not only is God's unmerited love ours, it's ours regardless of whether we want or not. God's grace is ours to receive when we step into our neighborhoods and we meet those who are also recipients of that grace. And as we engage with God's grace in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and with those we love in this life, We are changed. And in our being changed, so too is our neighborhood. So too is our community. The invitation to grace was part of what made, I feel weird calling them this, Fred Rogers or Mr. Rogers and his neighborhood of make-believe tick. Many of you may not know this, but Mr. Rogers was a minister. He went to seminary in Pittsburgh in his neighborhood. His calling was to care for children, to care for people like me and you in a world that often neglected the intelligence of children in exchange for easy distractions and unanswered questions. Mr. Rogers once said, love isn't a state of perfect caring. It is an active noun, like struggle. To love someone is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is right here, right now. That's grace at its most definition. Extending love and acceptance to someone exactly where they are, exactly as they are. This is precisely what Jesus did in going to Galilee instead of going to Jerusalem. Jesus went to the place where the law, that thing that was supposed to guide the liturgy of the community, was not always followed. He went to that place and said, here comes the kingdom of heaven. Not because of your ability to follow the liturgy of the community 
perfectly, no. But because as you are, where you are, God has come down from on high to share the good news, to share a meal that while we may be filled with sin, have turned away from God's love, God still loves you. God has not abandoned us. God has not left us to figure this community thing out, to figure out how to love our neighbors on our own. The new liturgy for the community, for the world, we get to write that together alongside Christ's call to love one another. The pattern of our community, where we are, whether it's our kind of micro-communities, our, our block, maybe Boston, maybe Arlington and Fairfax, it may not always mirror God's plan, but God in Christ can work with us. God in Christ can guide us to a new pattern of holiness. I mean, this is at the heart of Jesus' invitation to change your heart and lives, to repent and turn back towards God because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus extended this invitation to the disciples that he called by the Sea of Galilee, and it's the same invitation he extends to us when we answer his call to follow him and when we emerge from our water, the waters of our baptism. This invitation is to change the narrative of the community by changing the pattern, the liturgy that guides us. The pattern made up by our lives together does not change because of anything we do, but because we have been changed by God's grace and we cannot imagine doing anything but changing. The liturgy of grace, the work of God's love we participate in does not remove us from our weekday and our weekend liturgy of the neighborhood. We still have to get up in the morning. We still have to go to the bus stop. We still see Brian riding up 16th Street on the way to this bus stop. We still have to wrestle the trash cans to the curb and hopefully get them back in before you letter from the county. This is why Mr. Rogers' neighborhood ended each episode with, I'll be back when the day is new. Christ's liturgy of grace continues. We get to do this over again. Even if we mess up today, the invitation remains the same. And tomorrow, when the day is new, with new ideas and new things to talk about, we have the opportunity to jump back into the patterns of Christ's community of grace. The patterns we engage in now because of the grace of God and the change in the narrative Jesus' ministry sparked. They're what author Shay Tuttle describes as times of holy exchange. Moments where the good news of Christ's reign, where God's grace touches us and our neighbors. Thanks be to God. Amen.